Bless you. Welcome. Thank you. I also was in the Upper Peninsula. No, we're good. We're good. We're good. We need a new wireless microphone, eh? It's only about 30 years old. So I think we got our money's worth. <laughs> as old, it's not as old as me. <laughs> All right. Wow, that was such a powerful prophetic word. You know, that's a sermon right there. Um, uh, and, uh, yeah, I was in the, our family was up in uh, the Upper Peninsula as well. A lot of the church was up there and had a great time. And glad to be back, though, and want to jump right into the sermon, uh, picking up on the Sermon on the Amount. Uh, on the Amount? <laughs> bada bing, bada boom. All right. <clears throat> sermon on the Mount series, which uh, most of my series are only a few weeks long, maybe a month. But this series, we're just taking our time to go through the Sermon on the Mount and um, look at it in a more in-depth way. And the Sermon on the Mount is really Jesus' vision statement for His kingdom. It's what He expects of His disciples. You know, so if you want to know what it means to be a disciple or a follower of Christ, this is it. Read the Sermon on the Mount. It's a concise description of what that looks like. Currently, the section of the sermon that we're um, studying or, or in the midst of... <clears throat> is a summary of Christ's expectations of His disciples' religious life. Okay, and I understand that some people think that the term religious is like a bad word, but it's not. It's actually a good word, uh, although it can be misused. And so, um, as Christians, we are to be religious, not just religious. You know, it's about relationship, not about religion. But in the relationship, there are many religious things. And so, another way to think of it is our religion are our faith-based practices. That's really good. Right? The practice, the things we do as uh, that are rooted or based in our faith. And so, that's what he's talking about. This whole section is about those things. We've already talked about <clears throat> some of the things that he's addressed. Uh, going the second mile, loving enemies. Uh, these are previous sermons uh, on, this, on the Sermon on the Mount. Charitable giving. And now we're in the midst of prayer. The second Sunday that I've taught on prayer. Uh, we're going to look at the Lord's call, uh, Lord's prayer, what's commonly referred to as the Lord's prayer. It would be more accurate, though, to call it the disciples' prayer yeah. because uh, the, it was given for his disciples to pray uh, as a model prayer for them to pray. Um, and um, so we're going to read through that. Uh, Jesus previously had talked about private prayer, uh, but this he gives as a corporate prayer. Uh, both in the way it's worded, all of the personal pronouns are plural. Okay, so it's worded in a plural sense to be a corporate, to be spoken as a group. Uh, and <clears throat> that's the way it was used in public worship services from the earliest days, the earliest recorded history. We find the church praying this uh, aloud as a group, um, possibly even while Jesus was still alive. We have no proof of that. And so. Uh, let's stand and join with the church throughout the centuries, 2,000 years, countless countries. Think of all the different languages. We don't even know all of the languages and the peoples and the nations who have stood just like you're standing right now praying in their tongue uh, the same prayer. What, a, what an expression of unity. So, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be Your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, 
but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. You may be seated. So it brings back memories of my childhood when we would do that every Sunday as a group. Yeah, I like it too. So, did church my way, we'd probably do it every Sunday. (laughs) Alright, so we're going to look at this. Um, Jesus adds to it. And we're going to include this in the message, uh, in this today's sermon, verse 14 and 15. He says, then, and uh, Jesus then adds, uh, for if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. We'll discuss that later. So this is a model prayer. Uh, and we're going to look at each aspect, each phrase of it to get, gain a better understanding. And it can be used as a prayer in and of itself. In fact, uh, I probably pray this at least once a day. I have for as long as I can re- remember being a Christian. I even did it before I was a Christian. Yeah. In fact, one of the things that, uh, that made me realize I wasn't a Christian. I grew up in, in the church and learned this. This is when I was a college student in my uh, years where I, I was just living, you know, typical American teenager life. I tried to say the Lord's Prayer and I couldn't remember it. And I was like, shocked at like, how far I had gotten away. Like I couldn't remember the words of it. And that, that was one of the things that made me realize that I was so disconnected that began a process of where I ended up getting saved. <clears throat> so it can be used just as a prayer in and of itself. And I like it that it's short. You know, God's okay with short prayers. Yeah. It's like, boom. You know? But He also prays for hours and, 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 and encourages us to do that too. It also can be used as a structure for our prayer life. So, in, in other words, you can pray as is, or you can see it like an outline. These are the uh, subject headings for different parts of your prayer. And so, you keep in mind uh, that it can be used both ways, and I'll kind of touch on that as we go through each one. So, it begins with our Father in Heaven. So, Jesus tells His disciples, His followers, to talk to God as Father. And that, in and of itself, is pretty radical. That He instructs whoever follows Him has the privilege, the right, uh, the awesome intimacy, just to you know, talk to God as Father. He starts out, our prayer is to address God as someone that we're intimate with and that hears us as a Father and we're His children. Uh, we're not to pray to a distant, <coughs> a disconnected God, some, some deity far off, that is unconcerned, or some mystical force, uh, or somebody, something scary. Uh, it's to be our Father, Abba. Uh, and so that begins, um, the, the, uh, the prayer starts out with setting the stage. This is how you approach God, according to Jesus. You approach Him as your Father. But at the same time, He's in heaven. All right? And the commentator I'm using for this study, one of them <clears throat> puts, puts it this way. It says, This address does, however, express forcibly the tension in the disciples' attitude to God, who is at the same time in heaven, meaning transcendent, all-powerful, the Lord of the universe, and yet our Father, concerned for the needs of each disciple and entering into an intimate relationship with them. So even in these, what, four words, our Father in Heaven, Jesus introduces 
a tension, a, a contrasting uh, dynamics in our relationship with God. In that He's our Father, yet He is transcendent. He's, he's otherworldly. Mm. He, he's omnipotent. He's powerful. He is above. And so when we come to God, He is intimate, our Father, but He's also in heaven, above and beyond, uh, overarching. And that this is who we're speaking to. It spans the the expanse of our relationship. Uh, You know, and Jesus just pulls it together in these four little words. Uh, But really, there's a tension there. And it should create a tension in you. Uh, what does that mean? And that's why you can spend an hour just talking. Father, you're in heaven. How can you know? How does what does that mean? You you can it can be you just you can pray and talk to God about what that means. How 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 does that look in your life? How do you live that out? A relationship with an intimate Father that's transcendent and Creator and Lord over all creation. Um, Hallowed be Your name. The next stanza. This and the following two clauses uh, echo a familiar prayer used in the synagogue in Jesus' day. I I found this as I was researching for the sermon known as the Kaddish. Um, And and that goes like this. Uh, They would pray, Exalted and hallowed be His great name in the world which He created according to His will. May He let His kingdom rule in your lifetime speedily and soon. Yeah. Like, wow. Jesus... Um, what do you call it when you when you steal somebody else's words? He just plagiarized that. <laughs> he is the word, so he can't steal anything. <laughs> okay, lighten up a little bit. <clears throat> so Jesus used a prayer that everyone in his audience were was familiar with, because they would. Every Jewish person would go to the synagogue, just about everyone. It was common. They were, at least as children, they were raised hearing this very common prayer. Uh, but Jesus tweaks it a little bit. He takes something familiar and he puts it into the right context. Bing, 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 bing. What happened to my pointer? Pointer person. This is so weird. It's just, it always, there. So Jesus wasn't reinventing the wheel or teaching something completely new. He's taking something familiar and putting it into context for his disciples to use. I think that helps us understand how Jesus communicated uh, his kingdom uh, and helps us understand this prayer. Uh, As I said, um, okay, the next stanza is hallowed be your name. Right, hallowed means to be hold, to to be held in reverence, to be thought of as holy. It's a, it's a word that means worship, okay, uh, awe and respect. <clears throat> and uh, as an outline for prayer, it's really fitting that we approach God by expressing worship and exalting Him. Right? This prayer starts out with worship, and at, when we come to God in prayer, after. Establishing our relationship as, as sons and daughters, we go into a, time, a, a worship. Uh, in the Psalms, it says, Psalm 100 uh, says, Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. And so 
the psalm there expresses that we actually enter into uh, his uh, gates. So in a spiritual realm, thanksgiving brings us like through the front door uh, of God's household and into his courts, into his actual presence when we begin to praise. And many, many psalms, if you look through the book of the psalms, in the uh, subtitles, it'll say a song of ascent or a song of ascents. And ascent is the songs that they sang as the, the congregation, the Israelites, would approach the temple. Especially when they were going to the temple or going to the synagogue. These were the songs that they sang when they got in their car driving to church, if you will. Alright? They were songs that prepared them to worship and celebrate. And so it's a proper that we do the same thing. So you can do this by quoting a psalm, uh, singing a favorite uh, worship song. How many like worship music? How many, what's your favorite worship leader? What's one of your favorite worship leaders? Peter Webb. Peter Webb. <laughs> bada bing, bada boom. That was pretty good. Alright? Who? Carrie! Carrie Miller! Okay. <laughs> Who else? Anyway. Leonard Duke. Leonard. He leads worship in him. Come on. Huh? Kim Walker. Who's that person? Never heard of her. <laughs> I know. I know. This is kidding. Huh? Oh, okay, never heard of them. Good? Alright, so you can just, you know, they're all worship leaders. Pick a favorite worship song and sing it. Or if you're not good singing, uh, that's okay. God doesn't mind. Play it on the radio or play it on the whatever. <laughs> Play it on the electronic device. <clears throat> or express glory in some way in your own words. It's just an appropriate way. And then it goes on to the next one. Kingdom come, will be done. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is not meant to be acquiescence to some form of divine fate. Let me explain what I mean by that. Is that when we say that, some people misunderstand this thinking that um, you're saying, well, God, uh, everything is just going to happen the way you sovereignly will it to happen and help me get used to that. <laughs> you know, it's not like... Fatalism is, is the belief that everything is going to happen the way it's preordained and there's really nothing you can do to change it. And so, um, you know, you just have to deal with it. And a lot of Christians think that because God is sovereign, then that means that everything He wants gets, is going to, everything that happens must be the will of God because God is sovereign. It's a misunderstanding of the sovereignty of God. Uh, and it's Christian fatalism. And Christian fatalism is not biblical. It's not sound. And it's just a bad idea. And it leads, if you follow it out, to depression. <laughs> and it's not what Jesus is saying here. Uh, rather, this is intercession and prophetic declaration. It's calling into existence God's kingdom and will. It's joining with God in declaring. In fact, in the Greek, you can look this up, there's two words. Kingdom come and the next two words, will be done. Four words all together. Kingdom come, will be done. They're commands. They're not requests. Jesus is saying, command this to happen. It is not passive in any way. They're declarative statements. Kingdom, come! You know, like you talk to your kids. No, hopefully not. (laughs) Talk to your dog. Dog, come! Dog! (laughs) (laughs) Like you talk to your Xbox. Xbox! Shut down! 
<laughs> oh yeah, isn't that cool? You can talk to your Xbox, tell it to turn on. You know, how, how many know I'm talking about? <laughs> Some of the kids. Xboxes. You actually Xbox, and it pops up, and you turn off, and it turns off. Well, I wish my kids did that. <laughs> no, they do. They're great. Uh, sorry for the diversion. Kingdom come. It's a command. All right. Jesus is saying, speak into existence the will of the Father. The kingdom of the Father. The rule of the Father. He's giving us His authority to say, kingdom come. Will be done. It's not, oh, I'm sick. It must be your will. God's will. God, we pray for healing, but thy will be done. You know, like, whatever. No. Thy will is to be healed. So be healed. Be healed. Be healed. Right, it's, a, it's a reversal from what most people think it means. And then the words on earth literally means soil or region. It could be translated dirt. Right? It refers to, to either a specific part or the whole planet. And it implies, this phrase implies the inhabitants of uh, whatever is intended. <clears throat> and so if you're praying, I will be done for your home, and it's like where your house is, the physical space and, and geography, and also the people that live there. And I will be done at Kingdom Come in Kalamazoo. It's the actual physical space. You know, God is actually really concerned with geography and, and the literal soil and, and, and the people that live there. There's a connection that goes beyond what we uh, uh, understand in, 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 in our day. Uh, uh, Earlier civilizations, I think, understood it better. We're kind of disconnected, but it's it's real. We're really connected, um, and, and and so it, when we're praying this, it means uh, in a very real sense the area, the region, and the people uh, that live there. <clears throat> so when we say on Earth, you know, we're not to think of this as happening in some far off, disconnected, distant way, but rather right now, right here. Okay, so Kingdom come on Earth on this dirt. Hmm. Right? right here yeah. pray it. kingdom come here kingdom come in Kalamazoo will be done here where you're standing and think of the dirt you know it's like real and some, oh I hope it happens someday that is not what Jesus taught us how to pray oh I have it someday is not how Jesus prayed when you saw a sick person he healed them and they actually were healed yeah. right? dead people he came out of the tomb alright so, he's saying that's how we pray. Uh, this can be understood, another aspect of this, this can be understood in referring to end time fulfillment when Jesus returns and His kingdom uh, will be established and His will will be openly displayed. Historically, this was really taught that that reference was, uh, was in reference to Jesus come back quickly and rescue us. All right? uh, and a lot of people think that that's just what it means. But it means that, but that is the culmination that's the end of what we're intended to be implementing and involved in now. Does that make sense? So yes, when you say that, you're praying Jesus return and establish your will. But we are to be actively, we are to be agents active in implementing His will and His kingdom right now. And that will end when He comes. And we won't need to pray it anymore. Because it will be done. Right? Okay, so don't wait for that. Heaven is referring to above. It's where the Father is, uh, just like Jesus said, uh, 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 just the phrase before. <clears throat> so it's calling down uh, on earth as it is in heaven. Heaven is where the Father is. He just said that. And so what he's saying is that on this piece of dirt that I'm standing, 
Lord, make it just like it is in heaven. Now let me ask you a question. The people that are in heaven, the beings that are in heaven, whoever's in heaven, let's say you're in heaven right now, right? Do you think you know God's there? Yeah. Is God in heaven? Okay. Are the people in heaven aware of His presence? Is His presence influencing heaven? Okay. So when you say, on earth... As it is in heaven, you're calling down the presence, the manifest presence. You are saying, let it be right here, just like it is in heaven. So just like if someone was in heaven and they experienced your rule, your authority, your righteousness, your character, your love, uh, your will... In heaven, let it happen here that by experiencing you, they're experiencing your kingdom, your rule, your righteousness, your power, your character, your freedom right here. Does that make sense? You're calling it into bringing heaven right down onto earth. So you experience it in, into the present circumstance, in the present condition, whatever that condition is. Alright? So we're, if you're at earth, on earth in a place, at your workplace, and there's a bunch of tension, there's strife, and there's disagreement, and there's nastiness, you say, God, that's not the way it is in heaven. I pray, heaven, come down right now. Let there be an awareness of your presence. Just show up. And let them show up through you. Alright? So you're gonna play, apply that and pray that in whatever circumstance you may be in. It's soon again, Diane. I don't know why. This first started out, give us this day our daily bread. This is the next line. First start out focusing on God and His kingdom, and our prayers and our attitudes should reflect that. Okay? We start out focusing on God, focusing uh, on His kingdom as a priority. But then it quickly turns to addressing our, our physical and material needs. <clears throat> Praying for our own needs is not only proper, it's commanded. Alright? Uh, <clears throat> you are your best and most important intercessor. You should pray for yourself and ask for the things you need on a daily basis. Give us this day our daily bread implies that you pray that daily. I am surprised over the years as a pastor, one of the most common things I hear is people having a difficulty praying for themselves. And uh, people say, well, I don't like praying for myself because I feel that's selfish. You know, I'm like, Jesus commanded you to pray for yourself. Not only is it not selfish, uh, not praying for yourself is disobedience. Uh, So obey the Lord. It's fine and you're supposed to pray for yourself. It's good to pray for yourself because nobody is as concerned about your needs more than you. (laughs) Come on! Alright? So it's right to pray uh, for yourself, I think, on a daily basis. And it's interesting that Christ teaches us to ask for what we need before He talks about forgiveness. We haven't said anything about sin yet in this prayer. Alright? How often do we begin our prayers by groveling and pleading forgiveness? Oh God, oh God, I'm so sorry I did this. I'm so I'm so I did this, and oh, I'm so God, please forgive me. You know, and you just like spend a few minutes groveling, and then and then you know, God, if it's okay, I need this. That is not what Jesus teaches. All right, that is not how. Is that a worship song? <laughs> Little trick. A lot of people don't know this. When your phone's ringing, if you push any button on the phone, 
it'll be silent. And you can still walk out and answer it. So it's kind of new. Yeah, I know. I didn't want to embarrass you. But you know what? It really works. And it's been ever since the cell phone's been around. So we tell her that later. <laughs> okay. So where was I? Groveling. Don't grovel. All right. Could it be that we have mistakenly uh, <clears throat> believed that we have to grovel before God will listen to our needs? That reveals a fundamental misunderstanding of the character of God. And I got busted in this years ago. I was groveling before God. And God said, would you please stop it? Actually, he said, I can't remember exactly what he said. He was like, just shut up or something like that. <clears throat> and I was like, what? He said, I, he's like, I don't want to hear that. I don't want to hear that. Uh, I'm like, wow. And so I, I had to... I realize I'm talking to my father here, and and he and it's okay to ask for our needs, and we'll get to the forgiveness issues later. The next thing is, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. So we are to ask for forgiveness, but we don't earn that forgiveness uh, by groveling. <clears throat> forgiveness was obtained through Jesus' death on the cross. Believing this, that He died on the cross for our sins, transforms us into His children. We're now relationally His sons and daughters. We approach our Father already forgiven. You just think about that for a minute. Every time you go to the Father, every time you go to the Holy Spirit, every time you go to Jesus in prayer, you're already forgiven. All right, you have to believe that. So that positions you to go properly. But we confess our sins as a means of entering into agreement. Confession, agreement. I agree with you. So it is proper to confess our sins as an as expressing our agreement with Him and declaring that those acts, those sinful acts and attitudes are no longer consistent or not consistent with His character or our renewed character. Okay? So when we confess our sins, we're saying that is not consistent with your character and I see that. It's not consistent with who I am and I understand that and I ask you to free me from that. Would you go please turn that up? Just push the red arrow button up like three or four places. All right? <clears throat> Forgive us our debts. So this, the word debt is used in Matthew because that's how sin was understood and expressed in the common vernacular, the common language of Jesus' day. Sin was seen as being indebted to another because you had violated them in some way. And so if I sinned against my wife, uh, that created a debt between that I owed her because I had done, I owed her something because I had done her wrong in some way. And so, hi. Still works. You know, when there's lots of distractions like this, that usually means that I'm hitting the mark. <laughs> sin, <clears throat> sin was seen as being indebted to another because you had violated them in some way, and so that understanding helps us understand our relationship with with God. And that, um, if I would ask for that forgiveness, it means that that debt that I owed would be just no longer necessary to be paid. All right, they would accept my apology and my repentance as uh, of that I no longer was indebted. It restored relationship. A restored relationship. There's no funny feelings between us, and that's it, what it, the way it is with the Father. And so, confession in prayer, um, when we agree with God concerning our sin, doesn't gain us forgiveness, but it restores our relationship so that we can talk open face with Him without any guilt or uh, 
or, or shame, and we have confidence. You know, when we confess our sins in prayer, we have confidence that God, who already knows our sins, right, that's the deal. You know, it's not like He hasn't seen them. He knows it already. And so, uh, but He hears that we reject those acts and attitudes uh, from our, our lives, and it puts us in a place where we can, we can be uh, uh, receive the intimacy and enjoy it. Um, and it goes on, and forgive us our debts <clears throat> as we forgive our debtors. Uh, this should be understood as part of our prayer. Uh, let me see this. As we forgive our debtors, should be understood as the part of our prayer when we actively forgive anyone and everyone who sinned against us, either, and that includes both real sins against us or perceived. Because a lot of times you think someone offended you. It's, it's just you're not even sure, but it doesn't matter. Just forgive them. Um, that we're and so in this part of the prayer, if there's anyone in in your life that there's an offense, there's there's a there's a difficulty in your relationship with them, you know, pray out loud. I forgive so and so for this. I forgive. I just release that person from this uh, in Jesus' name and and it just just declare forgiveness to everyone that you possibly can. Um, <clears throat> the commentator points out that the point on this phrase is not so much that forgiving is a prior condition of being forgiven, but that forgiveness cannot be a one-way process. Okay, so don't understand this in the sense that, oh, I can't be forgiven until I forgive, but understand that that's just what forgiveness is. Okay? It, can't just be, it cannot be just one way. If you expect forgiveness and to be able to enjoy the benefits, restore relationship, removal of shame, freedom of sin, all that, while you're harboring bitterness and anger toward another, then you just don't understand what forgiveness is. All right? You don't understand what forgiveness is. Um, and then it goes, and do not lead us into temptation. Um, uh, uh, but deliver us from the evil one. This is actually one of the phrases that is often misunderstood in the Lord's Prayer. <clears throat> James, the brother of Jesus, wrote in his letter, James 1 verse 13, says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. <clears throat> so it's extremely clear that God does not tempt and so that phrase is not a way... A lot of people think, well, if I'm asking God not to lead me in temptation, does that mean that He does lead me in temptation? And it's like, well, that's, no, that's not at all what it means. We clearly know that He doesn't lead us into temptation. So what does it actually mean? Rather than that, it's asking God to direct your life. It's asking for Him to be active in leading all right, away from all temptation and evil, and toward freedom. All right, it's just simply that. Lead me. It could be translated, "Lead me, Father, away from temptation and evil, and toward deliverance and freedom." You're praying. You're telling God what you want uh, Him to lead you toward. You don't presume that He would lead you toward temptation. All right, because that would be. Uh, opposite of God's character. But you're confessing, this is what I want. I want to be led away from every form of temptation, even the shadow of evil. I don't want anything to do with it. Alright? And I want deliverance. I want freedom. Does that make sense? Okay, so that's what that part of the prayer means. Uh, evil one can be translated evil in general 
or it can be translated uh, as the specific referring to the devil or demons. Uh, and so it means both. It means evil in general, uh, evil consequences, but it also means the demonic realm. And so as you pray, you're praying deliverance uh, from the enemy and from uh, evil or wickedness, sin, all of that stuff. <clears throat> and we apply this part of the prayer simply by praying that. Pray for specific leading in your life and the lives of those you pray for. So if you're praying for your family, say, God, lead my family. Lead us in a, in a way that is, it avoids all forms of temptation, avoids evil in every way. Lead us into freedom. Lead us into deliverance. Uh, lead my business away from temptation, of in, uh, inappropriate business practices and, and uh, fraud in every way, and, and into deliverance. God, let there be freedom. In, in, uh, whatever the situation is, you pray along those lines. That's using it as an outline and how you would apply that. <clears throat> for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. That actually, that phrase is not in some of the original manuscripts, some of the earliest manuscripts. So some scholars think it wasn't in Matthew's original, but added. Uh, it doesn't really matter <laughs> because uh, it is totally agreed. Everyone agrees that the early church recited the prayer with that benediction and that it's been part of the prayer from the earliest days. It's true uh, and it's fitting to end the prayer as we began it with an expression of praise and glory. So uh, just because it's not in some manuscripts doesn't mean it's not actually part of the Bible. It just means it wasn't included in some of the manuscripts. Uh, Possibly because it was so commonly known as what you said at the end. Uh, because everyone would know that. Uh, it wasn't necessary to put it in. Because they were already saying it publicly every Sunday or uh, that and every worship gathering. So that's just one way to look at it. It's a good thing to say. Um, then Jesus goes on, <clears throat> verse 14 and 15. It says, For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. I think Jesus is being a little too strict here. Yeah. I think I think we should write a a, a complaint. <clears throat> Come on, Jesus! Don't you think Jesus is being a little too strict? <laughs> I'm glad somebody was listening. <clears throat> The importance of forgiveness is emphasized. Jesus returns to comment only on this part. He doesn't return and comment on any other part. But he says this part is so important. You have to get it. You have to understand it. And I believe because it's because uh, if you don't understand forgiveness, it'll prevent you and how that works. So that's a two-way street. It'll prevent you from gaining uh, any of the benefits of the rest of the prayer. All right. You can't benefit from everything else in the prayer if you're holding unforgiveness. You, uh, you know, it eliminates. If we have not entered fully into forgiveness granted us through Christ and expressed by us through forgiving others, then we cannot expect God's kingdom, His will in our lives, our needs to be met, our sins to be forgiven, our life to be led, uh, and in the way of, we can't expect all of that if we haven't uh, 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 come to a place where we understand how forgiveness is uh, a two-way interaction. Uh, forgiveness is just that crucial. 
Forgiveness enables us to see God's rule and will. What we prayed for, it enables it uh, revealed in our life. It enables us to see your daily needs met so you're not living in poverty or constant lack. It enables us to experience the personal forgiveness and freedom from sin. What we just prayed for, forgiveness actually enables us to experience it. It enables us to experience clear, the clear leading of, of the Lord. It enables us to avoid temptation uh, and live in freedom unhindered by the enemy and the simple fact is that if you're not experiencing those things in your life then it is very possible even likely that somewhere there's unforgiveness lingering in your heart now the problem with a blind spot is that you can't see it but if you see the effect of it then you can say where is the unforgiveness and then there's, you pray and ask God to reveal it <clears throat> Jesus knew these words were strong but they're true and so he told them to us. And we're to <clears throat> understand unforgiveness is at the root of most people's uh, troubles, especially their interpers- troubles in a uh, person's interpersonal life. And forgiveness is that path to where we can uh, gain personal freedom. So take time to forgive. All right? Uh, forgive, 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 and you'll be forgiven, and it'll change your life. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Cameron. I've been loving this sermon. (laughs) So, in a moment...